Have you ever felt like the work you were supposed to love is instead sucking your soul and you aren't making the impact you always dreamed of making? If so, you aren't alone. From broke and underemployed to six figures plus, powered only by daydreams and grit, I realized I was burning out and my values of freedom, purpose, and making an impact were taking the backseat to my wallet. I realized that I needed to build my own field guide to awesome from the inside out. So I gave it all up and I traveled the world to rediscover what was most important to me and create a business that filled my pockets, filled my soul, and allowed me to multiply my impact. But the question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey and find out as we build our community of experts and share the secrets of success from the inside out. My name is Trina Sarekia, and this is the Field Guide to Awesome. Welcome back to the Field Guide to Awesome, folks. I talk with multi-six and seven-figure entrepreneurs. We dive into where they started, the struggles they had along the way, and the unique way they think differently that has led to their current level of success. In the last episode, I spoke with Eva Pelikova. Eva Pelikova is the CEO of LeadersBreakFree.com and the host of Leaders Break Free podcast. She is also known for taking her business from zero to seven figures in 18 months as a single mom to an infant. She helps highly performing multi-six and seven-figure business owners break free from their barriers, and fall madly in love with their business. She also helps beginner coaches to launch their six-figure brands. It was a powerful episode, folks, so if you missed it, make sure to go back and check it out. But don't go yet, folks. My next guest is John Paul Crimi. John Paul is originally from Boston, but in his early 20s, he moved to L.A. and quickly became one of the most sought-after celebrity trainers and sober coaches in the country. Unexpectedly, he found himself in a breathwork class and had a massive transformation that very first time. Knowing he had to share this technique, he not only began teaching but developed his own unique style and quickly began selling out classes all over L.A. What makes John Paul stand out is his East Coast no-nonsense approach. He has taken the new agey part out of breathwork, and both companies and corporations are filling his calendar. CEOs and the Forbes set have found themselves in his classes and have hired him to teach all of their employees. John Paul has broadened his classes into customized workshops and corporate retreats of all sizes all over the country. John Paul has also appeared on Good Morning America and has been featured in the Huffington Post and the Hollywood Reporter. You can find him on countless talk shows and podcasts, both domestically and internationally, as he continues his work to make breathwork more accessible and mainstream. John Paul believes there is no one who can't benefit from this practice, and he has the Olympians, Oscars, Emmy, and Grammy winners to prove it. Witnessing people visibly transform often after just one session is why he greets each day excited to turn people towards their most authentic selves, and he has made it his life's work to reach as many people as possible. John Paul and I had a wonderful long conversation, and in this portion of the conversation that I'm sharing with you is the tail end of my fangirl raving about my client's results after implementing what I learned from his breathwork teacher training. And then we quickly talk about grief, imposter syndrome, and worthiness. 
as well as how his biggest wound became his biggest gift. Let's jump into the conversation now. Every single person from the, I, when I took the program, yep. I jumped into teaching right away. Good, good for you. Ev every single person from the very first session has had some kind of transformational result. Yep. From as simple as this is the quietest my mind has ever been yep. to um, clearing, resolving grief, learning to grieve in a new way, being able to grieve. Yeah. Um, well, so grief, physical... let's, let's pause on grief for a second. Yes. Because I have a, you know, I have a really an all too familiar relationship with grief. Mm. I've struggled with a lot of grief in my life and we're all going to have grief in our life. Yeah. There's no way, there's no way to avoid it. So if there's a tool that you can deal with, that you can use that can help you deal with the grief. The thing with grief is that grief gets stuck in the lungs. And this is in Chinese medicine, right? It gets stuck, it gets trapped. And so we like kind of relive it over and over again. And we feel like we can't get past it. Um, and so the breath moves that grief through your body. It doesn't, you don't, it's not like you breathe and then you're not sad and you don't have any grief yeah. ever again, but it really helps you to move through the cycles of the grief that we need to move through because you can get really stuck in it. And it's just yeah. a beautiful thing because I've had a lot of it. Unfortunately, I've, I've experienced a lot of grief in my lifetime and I've never found anything as powerful as the breath work. And that thing that I do, the transformational letter. Yes. So that, that combined with the breath work is really powerful for, especially for someone with struggling with grief, if they can write those two letters um, and then breathe afterwards, it really helps uh, resolve some issues that are stuck. That's amazing work and, and so simple. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. 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 Well, a lot of people have heard. So what I'm talking about the transformational letters is you write a letter to somebody saying everything, you know, somebody in your life that you have unresolved issues with. And it's, you know, either they're, they're gone, they're not here anymore, they've passed away, or they're just, they're just never going to fucking say what you want them to say or say what you yeah. need them to say. And so you write this letter to them, unedited, unfiltered, and you say everything you want to say, everything you've never been able to say, everything you can't say. And some people are like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I've done that before, whatever. And that's that's great. But then the second letter, you write a letter back from them saying yes. everything you want them to say, everything they're never going to say. And it's just you just write it all out. You make them say it in the letter and then you do a big breathwork session afterwards. And it really the letters bring it all up and the breathwork clears it all out. Yes. And it really is powerful because if we have to wait for people to give us what we need in life, we're screwed. If we have to wait for people to apologize or this or whatever, that's we don't realize that that relationship is keeping us stuck and how and keeping us from moving on in our life in our romantic relationships or in our career and all these different things and we need to we need to get it out of there and so i cannot tell you trina how many people have told me that doing that transformational letter combined with the breath work has changed their life like people have been like oh my god i paid for 500 dollars an hour therapist in beverly hills for 10 years and it never did anything and then i did that one workshop with you the transformational letter i did the five-day detox where it has the transformational letter and the course online and it changed it like that and it's gone yes. it's like that is just completely shifted that issue that relationship for me with that person is completely changed from that and I you know I discovered that out of my own grief out of my own pain I lost somebody really really close to me someone that I sponsored 
in a recovery program for 10 years, but they committed suicide. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt responsible in a mm-hmm. way, like, cause I felt mm-hmm. responsible for this person. Cause I was their sponsor. I was their mentor and I was the person who had led them and I watched them transform their life. And then they, you know, they got sick in a way, you know, we get this lie in our head that sometimes they got, they backed away from everything that they were doing that worked really well for them. You know, sometimes we do all these great things and it changes our lives and then we stop doing them. Right. <laughs> and it's like, Find no, little got- ways to self-sabotage. Yeah. So they backed away from doing the work and doing all the things and helping other people. And then they got this lie in their head, which was, uh, I, nobody loves me. And it was crazy because I love them and so many other people, hundreds of people love this person. But sometimes that lie can be really insidious. You know, it's like an entity or something crazy, but it's like, you know, and it goes around like a circle, like a washing machine in your head. And it's really scary. The idea that your brain can, um, you know, that sometimes your brain can go bad. Like it's like, it's, you know, your brain is not always your friend and it can lie to you. And so I used to say that feelings aren't facts and feelings won't kill you, but I know that's not true anymore because you can get a feeling and it can lead to a really bad thought. And that thought can circulate around in your head and then it start giving you bad advice that your head starts lying to you and telling you like, you should just get rid of yourself. You don't belong mm. here. So if there's anybody out there that's listening to this, like that's not true, reach out not true. and ask for help. You know, you are loved. You do matter. You do make a difference. And so, you know, that that letter was born out of my pain, my grief that I was just stuck in around this person. I was so heartbroken and I felt responsible. And writing the two letters really helped me get clear on where I was like feeling responsible. And it was, you know, like I can't keep anyone sober or alive or anything. You know, people have to do it for themselves. I can only be a lighthouse just shining the light on the rocks and you have to steer the ship around it. You know, I can't steer the ship around it for you. And it just got, and it just really helped me move through my grief and it's still painful. Like I miss this person. Um, But I, I, I'm not stuck in it. It's not affecting my life. Uh, You know, it's not affecting my relationship with other people and my children and, and if I'm not going to help people, you know, so, you know, that's the way life is. It's like, there's tremendous amounts of heartbreak and disappointment and sadness. And then there's tremendous amounts of beauty and love and gratitude. And you have to be willing to open your heart if you want to feel both. Cause the yes. thing is, I think the mistake that so many people try and make is they don't want to feel the grief. They don't want to feel the sadness. They don't want to feel the heartbreak. So they close their heart off. Okay, you're going to close your heart off from feeling that stuff or they medicate somehow. And now you're not going to be able to feel the love and the joy and the gratitude because you can't close your heart off from feeling the pain and the sadness and the grief and and then open it up to the love and the gratitude. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, the, the image I have in my head is that grief doesn't go away. You learn to expand your life around it to allow more, like you said, gratitude, um, abundance, love into your life. Yeah. Rose Kennedy has an incredible quote on grief and I don't want to try and say it because I don't know it by heart, but it's something like, you know, 
pain doesn't time doesn't heal all wounds you know but it like we learn to live with it yeah and you know no one's had more grief than that woman yeah you know and john paul i just have to say i admire your ability to be vulnerable and i want to honor your feelings thank you that you you share so courageously so many people aren't able to do that well my my when i was growing up the thing that was the hardest for me was my vulnerability, my sensitivity. Mm. And I really tried to not be so vulnerable, not be so sensitive. And I heard it from my family, from different people. You're too sensitive. You're too sensitive. People basically saying, when I am expressing my vulnerability and my feelings, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And Don't feel that way. Out. Yeah. There's something wrong with you. Don't feel that way. Don't say that. Don't express it. And so that was the message I got. And so, you know, I drank and I did drugs to not feel vulnerable. And I did a bunch of other things to not feel vulnerable. And now that I've gotten comfortable in my skin with who I am, I just allow the vulnerability to be. And ironically, it's become my superpower, right? When I teach my classes, my vulnerability, I feel is the thing that sets me apart from other breathwork teachers that I allow myself to get vulnerable in my classes. And that when I open my heart and people can hear it in my voice and they hear me getting vulnerable, it allows them to open their heart and get vulnerable because what comes from the heart goes to the heart. And it's the same thing if you're seeing a movie and you have a moment in a movie or a show. And so I do that in my breathwork classes and that's sort of become my gift in my classes. And it's, it's like, I heard a teacher once say your greatest wound can be your greatest gift mm. and you know that was my biggest wound and now it's become probably my biggest gift I don't know I just feel like and it's not always there like I can't just conjure it up it's just do I want to you know I try I, I I go in with the intention of opening my heart and if it comes through it comes through um, when I do my teacher trainings it comes through I'm very emotional and so that's how I want to live my life. And that's how I want my kids to see me live my life. You know, I want my kids to know that it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to cry. Um, and ironically, again, I have a daughter who's very emotional and it's like, whoa, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. And I have to stop myself all the time and being like, oh my God, you're so sensitive or you're so emotional. Like I don't, I just sit there and honor her feelings and just sit with her. And I found that the easiest thing to do, the smartest thing to do is to not ask her or talk to her about it, but to literally just sit there with her holding the space and just scratch mm. her back. Just scratch your back and be like, you know, is there anything you want to say? Do you want to tell me how you're feeling? You know, like, and just listen. And that as a guy is really hard because, um, because the guy, we want to fix it in a relationship. You know, you want to fix it. And as a dad for oh. your daughter, for like the mo thing you love more than anything, you want to fix it, you know, and, and just be there. Like, what can I do, honey? Like, how do I, how, how can daddy fix it? And and, and it's, I don't need to fix it. I just need to listen to her. You and just need to listen. Taken, yeah, it's taken a lifetime of work to get to that space to be like, okay, it's really hard for me to listen to this, but like, yeah, sit here and hold the space. You know, if I can li listen to tons of strangers share their most intimate secrets or their most, you know, their greatest pain, I'm, I, I should be able to listen to my daughter tell me that she's upset about something that happened at school. Yeah, yeah. Sitting with others' painful emotions can be so difficult for many. 
And often the first impulse is to fix things. I love your vulnerability and how you're so self-aware knowing your first impulse is to fix and instead holding the space, listening, and not diving into fix thing, fixing things. Thank you so much for sharing that. John Paul, I wanted to ask you a little bit about imposter syndrome in regards to enoughness and self-worth. I'm not asking you to name drop, but I know that you've worked with really some really highly successful um, people in the world, both celebrities yeah. and experts. Um, what are some of the, the common traits that you see um, in regards to imposter syndrome or worthiness? Yeah, that's a, that's a great Enoughness. topic. So it's interesting. So I, previous to breathwork teacher and some of while I was learning all my breathwork stuff, uh, I was a sober companion, sober coach. And some people might not know what that is. And what that is, is like sober companion, sober coaches started out with like a rock star goes into rehab and then needs to go out on tour. And so they put a sober coach with them or a sober companion with them on the tour bus to like help them stay sober while they're on the road. Cause it's really hard to yeah. stay sober when every concert, somebody's trying to get you high or get you to drink with them or party or the whole band is partying on the bus or wherever. And so they used to send these sober companions out with them. That's kind of where it started. And then it moved into like actors and movie stars, you know, going out on a movie set or a TV set. And so I did a lot of that work with uh, rock stars and actors and movie stars. And I did it for many, many, many years. And, um, and then I, you know, worked with a lot of these people doing breath work. You know, I've, I've taken a ton of some of the biggest celebrities in the world. I think I've worked with like four or five Oscar winners and three Grammy winners and two Olympic medalists, gold medalists at this time. So those are the achievers that we're talking about, right? Those are the people. Those, and there's so many people out there that might be listening to this that think like, oh my God, if I, ha if I had an Oscar, if I had right. a Grammy, if I had a gold medal, then, then I would be whole, then I would be happy, then I would have something to feel good about myself for. And it's so ironic because I usually end up working with these people after they've won one of those things, because it's been proven and you can research this, that like it often leads to depression after somebody wins a gold medal because they work, you work your whole life for this thing. And then you get this thing, this inanimate object, a statue, a trophy, a medal. And you and don't feel any different. Yeah. You still feel the same. Yeah. You still, I mean, maybe I'm, sh I know it feels amazing in the moment when you get it, but then it's like quickly thereafter, you're like, oh my God, that didn't fix me. And so what happens then to a lot of people is they start to turn to drugs and alcohol or other things to fill themselves up. Not, not all of them. Some of them will find deeper meaning. And um, it's, you know, a lot of those people are the most successful because they have the biggest sort of um, need inside of them the biggest you know like i i feel so empty i need to be loved you know i feel this and so because they feel that emptiness they they have that drive inside of them for that thing and then they get it and they're just oh it's just so hard and so that's why a lot of those people are successful because of that emptiness that they're feeling and i've just found that there is this lie that we all suffer from maybe not all of us maybe there's like two people out there that don't suffer from it. But like, I certainly suffer from it. And most of the people I know suffer from it. And the lie is, is that I'm not enough. 
in mm. some way, in some form, I'm not enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not funny enough. I am not hairy enough. I am not enough in some way. And that's just a lie. And the first time that lie ever kind of turned off for me was when I did breath work. It mm. turned off and it went away and it's come back and gone since, you know, it comes and it goes. Um, and I just know it's a lie now, you know, so I'm no longer suffering under the, you know, the illusion that like, I'm not enough. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that I'm going to get outside of myself. That's going to complete me inside of myself. There's no way to fix myself from the outside in. So it's an inside job. You know, they say happiness is an inside job, but I've also learned that happiness is just an emotion. It's just a cloud in the sky that comes and goes. And I can't, if I, that, that I think is a mistake that a lot of people are making that they, if I'm not happy all the time, there's something wrong with me right, and that right. I, I need to take a medication or I need something. If, if I'm not happy, I better go do something about it. And you know what, if, that does, if you can use it for a drive to find more, but I've found for me that happiness is just going to come and go and that I need something else. And what that something else has been is fulfillment and purpose. Yes. And so fulfillment and purpose will sustain me through the difficult times, whether I'm happy or I'm not happy. So whenever I go through a difficult time, I really try to turn to helping other people because that fills me up. That gives me purpose. That gives me fulfillment. And so yeah, that's been the key for me is really helping other people and filling myself up with that and knowing I'm doing good work, whether or not, you know, this thing's happening or this career thing is happening or people love me or people hate me. It doesn't matter. It's none of my business. If I'm helping other people, then I'm doing good work in the world. And that's enough. I'm enough, you know? And so that's the challenge. I think, um, I ha I've had to learn, you look, the saying is that er everybody knows what that money's not going to fix it, but they want to find out for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the saying that money only helps you be more of who you truly are. And so if you are truly not satisfied, if you're truly not fulfilled, you're going to be more unfulfilled. Yeah. So if you can build that fulfillment on the way up while you're building your income, while you're building your wealth, then yeah. when you hit the point that, you know, from the bottom of the mountain, you saw the top of the mountain and you hit that point and you have the money, you have the fame, you have the business that you want and you've worked on your fulfillment all along the way, you're going to be fulfilled when you get there. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, I, I, you know, I have more financial abundance and stuff than I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. And there's still a piece of me that's like, oh, you know, your kids are young. They're going to need to go to college. Like college is going oh. to be a million dollars in 10 years. You know, like, it's just like, I can easily slip into that. That's like an old story, an old trigger for me. Money is. And mm -hmm. so I can easily slip into that. And then I have to go like, you know, you're fine. You, you know, you're never going to go without, you've never, I've never gone without. And listen, if there's somebody that's like, if you don't have food to eat or a, a roof over your head, then that's a different story. Yeah. Right. But like up to a certain point, like once you have your financial needs met, you know, your food, you have a roof over your head, like then it only does so much, you know, and, you know, you start buying stupid things that you don't need 
and you know you start looking at other stuff and it's just like well it doesn't doesn't work you know i have some friends that are like some of the most successful people on the planet and i just watch them like obsessing over buying something that is really going to make no difference in their life whatsoever and they're like losing their mind about it because the mind is really tricky it needs something to fixate on Mm-hmm. And so it can be fixating on buying this car. When I get this car, I really want this car. This car is going to be amazing. And they, it just fixates on that. And it just does this thing, right? It can be this relationship. It can be this career. It can be this whatever. And the mind its the mind is a really tricky thing. And so that's why it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, hey, I need to turn that off and tune into my heart. And what's in my heart is like, oh, like, I'm fine. I don't, I don't even need that car. Like, I have a car that's fine. And, and. And there's nothing wrong with getting the car, but, but my point is, is that like, when you tune into your heart, you're like, all I need to do is, you know, go for a walk, you know, tell the people that I love that I, you know, what they mean to me and um, just be present and be grateful for what I have today. And that's it, you know, but we, our mind has got two, it's got two places it goes. It goes to survive and thrive. Yes. And so survive is like, if my mind's in survival mode, it doesn't want to leave the house because it wants to keep me safe. It doesn't want to do breath work. It doesn't want to do this. It doesn't want to go work out. It doesn't want to do anything. It just wants me to lay in bed and eat ice cream and watch Netflix. That's (laughs) all it wants me to do, right? Uh, And then I need to switch it into thrive mode, which is like, oh, I need to create this and to help somebody and create that to help my, so I can support my family and it's it's a wild mechanism this mind is a supercomputer and it's going to take over like the spaceship to odyssey whatever that is 2001 and it's going to just take over unless you learn to control it yeah stay tuned for the next part of our conversation with john paul crimi coming up in february where we talk about addictions relationships and using breath work to stop running your life based on fears and past trauma And stay tuned for next episode, where I speak with Willow Sana. Willow has been a self-employed creative for over 20 years. She's a sought-after business coach who empowers visionary entrepreneurs with heart-centered action. Willow and I talk about cancel culture and while you must heal your witch wound. It's a powerful episode, folks, so stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Hey, thanks for listening. I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can immediately implement in your life or business. If so, one of the easiest ways you can help me is to please rate, review, and follow this podcast. When you do, you help me reach other heart-centered and socially conscious entrepreneurs just like you. By the way, If you are a driven entrepreneur at the top of your game, yet find your consistent successes aren't feeling like you thought they would, I also have a special invitation to share with you. Especially if you are ready to go deep and stop the self-doubt, self-sabotage, overwork, overwhelm, exhaustion cycle that is holding you back from experiencing success that truly feels like success. I invite you to book a call with me. We'll have an intimate conversation about you and your business, and we'll talk about what's holding you back from regulating your nervous system, priming yourself for flow, 
and elevating your emotional intelligence so that your journey of success feels fulfilling and deeply satisfying. If you still need more help at the end of our call, and it makes sense to both of us, we'll talk about what it would look like to work together. If this sounds good to you, click the Book Trina link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for next week. And remember, be awesome!